Hi there. You just caught me reading my brand new book, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. The book, me and my co-host Ben Durant wrote this last year and it is now finally out at bluerosebag.com. This book contains over 100 interviews with cast and crew, community commentary, and of course, us. For example, here are some of the fine folks you'll find in this wonderful book. Krista Bell, Charlotte Stewart, David Patrick Kelly, Jim Belushi, John Neff, Scott Frost, Cheryl Lee, Matthew Lillard, and the one, the only, Kyle McLaughlin. So get your copy today at bluerosemag.com. Ho, ho, ho! Season's greetings from Agent Cooper and the gang, and all those Douglas firs up here in Twin Peaks. Okie dokie, old buddy. Action. Special Agent Dale Cooper here, sending out a great big hello from everyone at Twin Peaks to all the Allied forces out there in the Middle East. We want you to know that you're missed, you're loved, I want you to come home soon. Here's your pie, Agent Cooper. Well, thanks, Shelley. Say hello to the Allied forces out there in the Middle East. Hi, guys. Keep doing a great job. Good work. And from the crew as well. We now return to How David Lynch Stole Christmas. Hello. I got you a present. It's a thumb. <laughs> don't look away. Let the fear wash over you. I don't understand. That's the whole point. Now, did you leave a plate of black coffee out for me? No. In the future, please leave a plate of black coffee out for me. Also in the past. And Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hi, Brian. Hey, Ben. How are you? I am great. This beautiful holiday evening. We're going to be doing Grandmother. Yes, we're continuing David Lynch short films. We did uh, The Alphabet last week. We are continuing with The Grandmother. Yeah, and this is going to be the last of the David Lynch... Lynch short films for the year for us. For the year, we might go back to it in yeah. 2018, but yeah, for the year, that's it. It's been a fun little ride. I hope everybody's been following along and has enjoyed this, and maybe we'll do it again. We'll do a, a little video series or something. I'm sure there are people on. out there saying, why aren't they talking about Twin Peaks? This show is called Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Yes, but I would argue to understand Twin Peaks and David Lynch, you got to understand his earlier work. Yes, I think that really does help, and we can yeah. definitely see things where... His early works maybe influenced his later work like yes. Twin Peaks. It bleeds in and he borrows and takes and it's it's cool. It's yeah. really cool. And this is kind of the holiday season and I think, you know, we can kind of be light and just deal with <laughs> Lynch films. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to go heavy on the holidays. And we'll, but we'll be back in a, 
2018 with more Twin Peaks. And you know, it's great to have 25yearslatersite.com. They've been doing uh, readings for us. Thank you yeah. so much to them. Yeah, they've really given a lot to the community in their writings and, and the fact that we got to join forces with them. And their articles. Their articles. Great, great articles yeah. they're doing, yeah. It really amplifies and really uh, puts the show up on a, another pedestal, you know. They really elevate the show every week for us. Definitely. And I really, I, I, we, we really appreciate that. And I can't recommend enough going to the site and checking out their articles. They've done, you know, it was only about a month ago that Andrew interviewed Mark Frost, just like we got to talk with him. It was I great. That they, he, he had some great questions for Mark Frost. And yeah, I can't recommend checking out their site enough. I'm Rob King with 25 Years Later, a site both wonderful and strange. Odessa, West Texas, Scorched Oil, Judy's, and Murder. Before Part 18 of Showtime's 2017 Twin Peaks, a limited series event, Odessa, Texas' place in television history belonged to Friday Night American Football with NBC's Friday Night Lights. To be fair, this attention began much earlier with Tom Bissinger's 1990 nonfiction biographic book, Friday Night Lights, which exposed corruption and inherent racism in the four-time winning state champion community and educational system. The book was about as well received upon its original publication in Odessa as Larry McMurtry's The Last Picture Show was decades earlier in his now current town of Archer, Texas. Honestly, this reaction to criticism is not unique to Texas, but duly noted in these instances. Author Tom Bissinger reiterates this fact and offers some insight in his 2004 Sports Illustrated article, Return to Odessa. Since the publication of my book Friday Night Lights in 1990, dozens of people in town had accused me in the press of deception and betrayal, of wooing and then verbally raping them, of blaspheming the god of high school football and desecrating Odessa itself by depicting incidents of racism and misplaced education priorities. For Twin Peaks fans, that television attention changed the night of September 3, 2017, when Richard, or the unified Agent Del Cooper, wakes up in Odessa, Texas. I grew up in Abilene, Texas, a town some consider to begin the geographic change from Central Texas to the flats of West Texas. Abilene sits between Dallas and Odessa off Interstate 20. Odessa was 171 miles, or a two-and-a-half-hour drive, from my hometown deep into that more perceived barren location. This article is meant to inform those of you with interest to some context of Odessa, where it is, and what it is. We might even make some sense of its significance or choice as Carrie Page's location when Richard Cooper finds her. For instance, did Carrie Page at the age of 17 find herself blending into the crowds of high school students, community parents, and grandparents at a Friday night football game, paper boat in hand, filled with Fritos, chili, and cheese? That last part references Frito pie, a popular gastrointestinal threat or treat commonly served on fall nights from high school concession stands around Texas. Midland and Odessa are oil towns, and because of proximity are all but considered sister towns. Midland the metropolitan, Odessa more the industry. If someone thinks of Odessa or Midland in Texas, they think first of oil. Let that sink in for a moment. Where once Agent Cooper found at the northwest gate of Sycamores to the Black Lodge a pool of scorched engine oil, Richard Del Cooper is now standing directly on land surging with oil. 
On that very ground, one finds their answers in Judy's Diner. One might well heed our Looney Tunes of Old's advice by not making that wrong turn at Albuquerque and eating at Joe's instead. Oil production began to surge again around 2010, a time when the field workers, petroleum engineers, and freshly graduated students descended on the two cities, spiking rent and initiating the kind of development of housing uh, and apartments which Mark Frost included in the return near Las Vegas. Remember the call of 119? The projects could be abandoned at any time, though I heard just this weekend that there might be another uptick in production. According to a report by the Pew Research Center titled Metropolitan Areas that Experienced the Largest Gain in Economic Status in the United States from 2000 to 2014, out of the top 10 cities, Midland and Odessa came out at top, grossly outnumbering the others, Odessa showing a 26.3% increase and Midland with 259 versus the runner-up with 15.5%. That huge gap was all due to the oil industry, and while this all sounds resoundingly prosperous, I will paraphrase what an older man told me when I was working in the Lubbock County Clerk's Office the year of the boom. These kids all got the nicest hotel rooms and bought themselves the newest pickup trucks, but I picked out a moderate room because I know that when the boom is on, it's big, but it better outlast the drought. I'm saving for it. According to a brochure by the Midland Convention and Visitors Bureau, which I just grabbed from my hotel's lobby in Alpine, Texas, I drove through Odessa on my way here for a conference, there's a Lone Star Football League team named the West Texas Wildcatters, formerly named Odessa Roughnecks. For those of you unfamiliar with the term, the entry for roughneck in the Oxford English Dictionary has three definitions. The third reads... A worker on an oil rig, especially a laborer on the floor of a rig. Its first usage in that context is referenced back to 1913 and 1917. Along with its associations to oil, I do have a, a point to my harping on this. Robert E. Howard, author of Sword and Sorcery Pulp Fictions, from Conan the Barbarian to horror fictions the likes of Solomon Kane, once complained to the same elements in his oil-touched hometown of Cross Plains, Texas, back to the 1920s and 30s. In letters to H.P. Lovecraft, he described some of those elements like in the following quote from June 1931. These men from the Middle West, oil field workers at least, are generally a turbulent race, ready to fight at the drop of a hat with their fists, but generally not so quick to draw knife or gun as the fighters of the Southwest. Even in personal correspondence, he was a colorful writer. Still, we'll use it. Richard and Cooper meet some likely culprits in his short time in Odessa, which brings us to Judy's. There is no Judy's diner in Odessa currently. Well, research shows there is, somewhat. I will leave you to look it up, but will not lend it any further attention in this article. To our point, though, the unified Cooper is certifiably in Odessa, Texas no longer than two and a half minutes for us as an audience before he must appease yet again his White Knight Syndrome, as Tamara Preston calls it in Twin Peaks, the final dossier. Still, this is no mere White Knight saves the damsel in distress moment. He has entered the doors of Judy's diner, where premonition tells him that Carrie Page must be employed. You get the feeling we've been dropped midway into an investigation. For the setting, this is West Texas. It is not a particularly cowboy moment, even while it is uh, hazed in the oft-common dusty-aired hue of the region, 
that is not overly exaggerated. I much prefer to call it Agent Cooper's Maverick moment. He is acting out the traditional Western standoff, one against three, for a lady's, waitress's, honor. But he is cold and calculating. Unified in this Western setting, he is equally the rattlesnake represented in the double snakeskin shirt and black eyes from The Return, as he represents the original series Cooper in his valiance. His actions are beyond FBI protocol now. He is not only feared by the targets, but also by others in the environment, which is to a gunman's favor no matter the context. I will reiterate in our current climate that this is fiction, and as fatal violence is avoided in the show at this standoff, it is to be avoided in all contexts of real life. This is also a good time for us to look at the honest people of Odessa versus a common, fictional, much more exciting portrayal of West Texas peoples. We saw some of this contrived imagery in the fictional Big Tuna Texas of David Lynch and Barry Gifford's Wild at Heart. Let's look back to another of Howard's explanations to Lovecraft from a July 13, 1932 letter. Most of the people I know are like me. They hate trouble and avoid it as much as possible, yet it does seem there is a great deal of quarreling and scrapping going on all the time. I attribute this in part to the great number of bullies in the world. They won't let a man alone. This was particularly true during the oil booms, of course, but the country at any time is too much infested by such bravos. I'll use the moment to come to the rescue of the three men's reputations using this statement in recent legislation. In 2015, the Texas legislature signed into law the Texas Open Carry Law. As of January 2016, Texans who have passed all proper obstacles and have in hand a license to carry, that's LTC, permit, may carry a traditionally concealed weapon openly. There are a lot of restrictions once you get into mental health facilities and campuses, which is too much to cover here. The point is that, depending on the year, the three bullies, using Howard's useful terminology, might have been well within their rights to have the weapons they carried on them. I have to say from experience that in Texas, you are more likely to experience manners and courtesies from a boot-shod, wrangler-clad, stetson-capped, and starch-shirted local. But again, we are with Cooper and Judy's Diner Western, where manners are lost on the lone waitress, and Cooper is out of patience with discourteous misogyny as a distraction to his mission to find Carrie Page. Two months ago, Reddit user Showfixie noted that Odessa is home to the largest roadside jackrabbit statue in the nation. The fact comes from a rather upsetting practice of jackrabbit roping from early in Odessa's history. The website entry for Roadside America tells us that the Humane Society shut this barbarous practice down as late as 1978. Of course, this jumps out to us fans, having just seen the importance of Bobby Briggs' personally named Jackrabbit's Palace the entrance of which holds a pool of molten gold as opposed to the darkness of oil. See our Twin Peaks and Alchemy article by Gisela Fleischer. Also, shortly after the finale, Reddit user GoldenBear81 added to our knowledge by pointing out that Odessa, Texas is approximately 430 miles away from Los Alamos, New Mexico, verified, the area where the bombs for the Manhattan Project were designed. With the mention of the more supernatural elements of Twin Peaks in 430 and Jackrabbit's Palace, I decided to briefly look at local legends and haunting by flipping through Jeffrey Fisher's Ghosts of Texas. Texas, the haunted locations of Midland, Odessa, and San Angelo. Out of the classic apartments built over an Indian burial ground, abandoned oil headquarters that used to be a sanitarium, and cemeteries, 
only one entry sparked any attention, Odessa High School. Odessa High School is famous for its haunting, and the spirit that haunts the school is that of Betty Jean Williams, a former student of the high school. Betty Jean Williams was the drama queen of the theater department in 1961, but was shot by a fellow student, a popular football player that was also her ex-boyfriend. It's said that Betty had wanted someone to kill her, and supposedly had asked her friends to kill her, although they assumed it was a joke. The football player, her former boyfriend, is said to have taken her out to a local stock pond where he kissed her, then shot her through the temple before weighing her body down and putting it in the pond. The ex-boyfriend was not found guilty and is rumored to still live in the city of Odessa. Betty's spirit has been said to haunt the school ever since her death, and her apparition is occasionally said to be seen wandering through the hallways. Even when Betty's apparition cannot be seen, her spirit is occasionally blamed for the sound of an unseen woman screaming out, and the doors being opened and slammed shut by an unseen force. If any weight could be lent the legend, Carrie Page would have been in frighteningly familiar territory, joining her voice with Betty's screams through the halls of the high school, like our distraught student and the pilot of the original series. Driving on I-20 this past weekend, I was able to see the kind of housing district which David Lynch genuinely recreated for Carrie's neighborhood, a roughneck neighborhood, scorched by the Texas heat and largely ignored. So, Odessa betrays the small-town cleanliness and logging nature of Twin Peaks, which Laura Palmer was once accustomed. As Carrie Page, her 25-year-long journey may very well have started back at that football game, with the Frito pie in hand, watching her new rebellious football player boyfriend, looking confused at her surroundings, a foggy memory of a past life fading black as oil on a moonless night, of Bobby Briggs in Twin Peaks. Please check out further articles as they are released on the 25 Years Later website, a site both wonderful and strange. And thank you. Thanks, Rob. That was really interesting. Check out his other work at 25yearslatersite.com. So, Ben, grandmother, if I remember correctly, this was put together in 1970? You are correct. And it was... It's creepy, disturbing. <laughs> um, had elements that... I recognized um, in other things, and overall, I don't know what to make out of it. Yes. Well, can I give you some backstory? Yeah, please do, because right. that might help me. <laughs> I don't know if it'll help. But, you know, so we had his uh, six men getting sick mm-hmm. six times, and then he got to do uh, the alphabet because somebody had given him some money to create something, and he, it turned out to he made the film The Alphabet. Yeah. And then, and so he's kind of getting, like he says, he's kind of got the bug for making films. Like, he really was getting into it now. He's, he had had the chance to make a few things. And he really wanted to do more. And it was actually a friend of his that recommended uh, American Film Institute that they did grants and that he should apply for a grant. And the, the requirements for applying for a grant was that you had to have supply previous work and you need to have a script. Mm-hmm. And so he had his previous work, like Six Men Getting Sick and The Alphabet, and he had a script, Grandmother. Yeah. He, he wasn't like normal scripts, like the way that we, I think, I mean, basically like a lot of times our film scripts are like one minute is one page, basically. So he's writing this grandmother script and it was very dense and, and he would have like sentences <laughs> describing things and his whole, like, so this film is 34 minutes, I yeah. believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like eight pages. <laughs> 
Wow. So eight pages was his script, and it's because he wrote so much of it dense yep. on just a few pages. Yeah, you really got to describe what's going on. I mean, yeah. there's a lot that goes on. It kind of tells a story, and it's cool because it borrows elements of live action, his animation, yeah. a stop motion looking like. Um, he really ran the gambit of different things he used. It's Definitely. really cool. Yeah. So he applies to, for a grant. He waits, he waits, he waits. He's He gets to a point where he realizes, you know what, I'm a fool. There are all these great filmmakers out there who they've made films for years and they just know their stuff. They're going to get these grants and I'm not. So he kind of went back to his his job. He was he was a printer. He was doing printing. And that was mm-hmm. it. He kind of like, you know what, I got to realize that this maybe isn't going to work out. And, you know, he didn't have the money. He felt like film was very expensive. So he couldn't just be like, well, I don't need this grant. I'm going to go do my own. I'm going to make my own films. He, he really was tight with money. So yeah. he couldn't just go do that. So he went back to work and like one rainy day in Philadelphia he you know he's still married to Peggy Lynch Jennifer Lynch's mom Uh and he says uh, you know he leaves and he says call me if anything exciting happens and you know Peggy there says oh you call me if anything exciting happens (laughs) so he goes to work and sure enough Peggy calls his work and gets this guy named Roger and says oh uh you know you know give a message to David and so Roger says to David there um in a few minutes, you're going to get a call. You need to answer this. And so, sure it's enough. It's very Lost Highway. <laughs> he, <laughs> I'm in your gets, house. <laughs> he, yes, he gets this call, and sure enough, this uh, call is about the grant. And, he, you know, he says, Lynch says, that this phone call changed my life. This grant made it so he can make a film. And Lynch is saying this where it's like changed his life. And his eyes, he looked like they were watering and stuff. Like he was pretty emotional. At least I looked at it, and he looked like he was really emotional wow. about this changed my life. Like getting this phone call made it so he could actually become a filmmaker. That's great. That's cool. to be in the yeah. industry and like the way Lynch has done this too like Lynch Lynch is not making your typical films like you know it's it's yeah. artsy it's what he wants to tell and uh it's 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 something else yeah it's really cool so we want to get into this film yeah we got to get into grandmother because <laughs> i'm still kind of uh like i don't know i mean i got the gist of it but i don't really know anything what yes There's this little boy, and he's got parents, and the parents are like dogs, and they're barking. And It reminded me of season three of Twin Peaks, where you had uh, Judy, or I guess we could say Judy, uh, making the monkey noises. Oh, yeah. And, and the way it's filmed with some of the stuff reminded me of that scene, the be- episode two with Cooper and her. Yeah. In that purple area. It reminded me a lot of that. And also the noises, too. And it's also funny because I kind of feel like that's how a kid would hear these, these, and they're gluttonous, like, pigs of a parent. Like, yes. they're just, like, eating, and they, the guy's just, he's missing teeth, and he's just like, ah, and he's mean. And he's actually treating his son like a dog. Yeah. Because there's something on the bed, and he's rubbing his nose in it. Oh, it seems like he peed. I mean, yeah, I heard yeah. the, the child has been, go up, you know, peeing in his bed. Okay, and yeah, yeah, and he rubs his... 
Yeah. His nose and is like a dog. It's funny. It's like black and white, but that's yellow. It's a yes. yellow stain. Yeah. 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 And it starts off with animation. These people grow out of the ground. And I look at it as they then form, and maybe that's when they're going to make a child together, I think. I mean, they're kind of. It's funny how you have this animation and then you go to live action. And it's like the parents. It's like uh, the parents are like hugging each other, which reminded me of Cooper and Judy. Like, it was at that juttery, stuttery oh, yeah, kind right. of back and forth kind yeah. of thing. And then they make, they have a boy. Yes. And the boy comes out of the ground. Like, they give birth. You're right. Like, it's almost like a metaphor for maybe uh, Mother Nature giving birth to a person. Yeah. To humankind. Right. The father is kind of acting like belligerent and like like a dog. I don't know if he's happy that he has a child. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, man. I got to deal with this now? Right. And it's almost like they... Maybe this was an accident, maybe. Maybe they didn't want to have a child. Right. And the, the kid gets shot off into the stratosphere. <laughs> and it's fascinating. I mean, it looks kind of black and white. But, you know, you have, like, the boy's lips are red. And it's, it's like, I think really what it is, it's not black and white. It's just... You, uh, like he did with the alphabet, we have white face and we have yep. everything dark. The white makeup and uh, yeah, I, uh, maybe they painted. They maybe they use the same room. Well, yeah. So here's the funny thing is again, David Lynch goes and decides to paint his house black. So oh in alphabet, God. he no wonder she divorced them. <laughs> but I know Peggy mentions this. I think on Pretty as a Picture, I think she says this. Like, yep, he goes to make another film and he paints the house black again. Oh my God, the whole house. I mean, I pro- it probably Couple was rooms. a room or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but it does make it stand out. Lynch said he wanted to make the room black because it would make uh, the audience focused on the subject, the uh, actors, and not on the walls and the surroundings. What's really interesting is that the, you know how these bright colors actually came about was due to the lab. The lab didn't realize that Lynch had actually made all the actors' face white, and so the lab was trying to push the color to try and get the flesh tones, which actually gave this really bright red and the yellow that we have in the in the film. And Lynch really liked how it turned out. So they're at home and they're just gl- like he's drinking and she's just doing her hair and they they seem like they're just preoccupied with themselves. Yes. They don't care. Yeah, they are not good parents. We're knowing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the message that we're getting is that yeah, these these are not good parents. There's abusive. And we see a blue box with the sun rising and I think that's kind of like he's looking out the window like it's morning. Yeah. But it's funny that's animation and then we cut to live. Yep. And that orange spot is on the sheet, and he hides it. He puts the sheet right. over the yellow spot. Yes, he's peed in his bed. He's peed in his bed, which he's going to get yelled at and treated like a dog. Uh, and his dad sees the pee and just does make these weird noises. Like, mock, 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 right. like, like that. And it he, is so troubling to see him, like, pick his son up and just, like, push him into the bed of pee. And it's like, uh You can tell... They don't want to be parents. They're just dealing with this. And even, like, the mom's like, come here, come here. And um, the kid does not want to be next to his mom. Yes. And he's pushing them away. Like, he doesn't... It's very violent. Like, um, and I think the mom's probably a little hurt because she wants to give her kid affection. And he's just like, I don't want nothing to do with you guys. Like, you guys are mean. Like, the dad has no compassion. You can see the mom has a little, 
when it's convenient for her. I kind of get that feeling. I mentioned before how uh, Lynch had made this script that to get the grant. The funny thing is he didn't even refer to the script again once he started shooting. He never even picked it up again. He, I mean, he basically knew what he wanted to do. It's not really a heavy on dialogue. You know, a lot of the stuff I learned about through uh, Lynch on Lynch book by Chris Rodley. So he goes up in the attic and there's seeds in there and there's a bed. Yeah, which was interesting. He's looking at seeds and he's shaking, listening to them. And one of them makes a whistling noise, and that's the one he right. plants. We're going to learn it's the grandmother, yeah. but it's, it's a woman whistling. She makes the same whistling noise later on. Yes, very true. And then, So he brings <laughs> he brings some dirt into the bed, and he puts it onto the bed, and puts the seed in, in on the dirt. the dirt on the bed, and then waters it. For, like, we have to assume for days, because it just grows this weird plant thing. Yes. Just put... And he takes care of it. He's just like, oh. It almost feels like a, like a, an eraser-haired baby again. Yes, it's that's kinda, what I thought, right? too. It's, again, it's like a potato or something. And you can see the roots coming out yeah. underneath love, the bed. I, I, I do like this black. It's so dark. I mean, we have this black room, mm-hmm. and then we have this black object, and it's only a little bit of light that's really kind of defining it. There's like a hole in this root thing. It's sort of like comforting to him, like he's growing something. His creation. Yes, his creation. And the sun comes up in a glass box, which is like Twin Peaks season three, the glass box. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the mother, I don't know what she, she looks like she's acting like a dog. You still have his father yelling at him. He's out of the pee. Yep. And uh, again, the son is, it's almost like a routine every day he pees in his bed. And like, I don't know enough about psychology, but you do wonder if like when you're in a, a home of violence, if maybe that would make you go to bathroom too. It's this kind of like a, fear and a nerve. You're you're nervous. You're nervous you're or uncomfortable. Maybe you don't even feel comfortable getting out of bed to use the bathroom. Yeah, and so you're it's afraid. almost like this cycle where you sh- <laughs> you're gonna get beat or you're gonna get harmed because you're, you're mm-hmm. urinating. But at the same time, you do that because of the environment you're in. So it's a I feel yeah it's I feel a bad cycle. for this child. Yeah. I don't even know how old this child is. You think? 10, maybe even younger than that, 10-year-old yeah. child. Yeah, it's a sick cycle. And the kid, you can tell, doesn't know what to do. And so we should say also what this child is interesting is this child is in a suit. It has a bow tie, and he's got his black suit. And I don't know why it makes me think of a little Cooper or something like that. He's very adventurous, and he's very yeah. uh, whimsical in a way. Like, he's very um, interested in things. Lynch basically casted people that he knew. His printing partner at work, Dorothy McGinnis, was casted as the grandmother. Bob Chadwick and Virginia Madeline were friends of his from art school, and he casted them as the mom and dad. The boy in the film was actually a neighbor kid that Lynch knew. Do we know anything about Lynch's childhood? Yeah, I mean, he he seemed like the all-American, and he seemed to have a very normal, normal life. life. I mean, I think he was rebellious more as a teenager, and mm. like he got into trouble, and his mom would always try to say, hey. That's you know. normal. Yeah, but we it seemed like yeah. right, but it seemed like a very, very healthy, normal childhood. It seems so. It's interesting. This whole plant creature thing. He goes up to the attic. Yeah, and he pulls out this like weird body. Yeah, there's a body in there, and he's got to pull it. Out. <laughs> it's, I know it's like his president has finally uh, blossomed here or something. And the way it's filmed, it's like wrapped in this weird black gook or gook? something. Yeah, and it looks like if they use plastic, but it makes it all look wet, almost. Yeah, and there's like water. It's like birthing. Yes. Yes, after birth. Birthing the grandmother. Yeah, which is weird that he would be birthing the grandmother. Right. 
And what so we we think about the grandmother. I mean, a lot of times we want to believe it's that sweet uh, woman who is there for us. <laughs> I always kid to my wife that whenever she makes a great breakfast, it's like, oh, it's just like my grandmother used to make. <laughs> Even though my, my my grandfather was more of the cook, but it's always just like that idea that grandma's cookies and you know that idea that yes. that loving grandmother is there to always nurture you. And I think that's what this kid is doing. He he wants some kind of being that would be there for him to care for him, take care of him, which he isn't getting from his parents. And like, what's a great idea of that is maybe a grandmother. grandmother. Yeah, exactly. Because um, a kid this age, and you know, I think that's the first thing you go to is your grandmother. And a lot of times a grandmother is... She'll sneak you some candy and, and spoil you, know, you. The grandmother had had a child, whether it be uh, you know, the dad or the mom, and she had very strict rules for your for your parents, you know. But when you have a grandson or grandchild, there you're kind of like, oh, I don't have to take care of you anymore. I can give you as much candy as I want. I can I can spoil you. Yeah. That's what you're there for. You're, I've only got you for a few hours, and then you're back to your parents, and they'll be strict with you. But yep. for now, yeah. Yeah. So almost it's like he made his own best friend. Yes. Yeah. And he's very happy because she's there now for him. And the white makeup on their faces does make him look very creepy. It's very creepy. But I also <laughs> see, for as a film thing, it, sta- it probably stands out yes. more with the black. It's yes. good yep. contrast. Another thing about it is interesting is that so we have a grandmother and we have a grandson and we have these type of characters in Twin Peaks in season two. We had, you oh. know, a grandson who was studying magic. And yes. And grandmother who did not like cream corn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the parents are just being gluttonous again, smoking, eating. And then they brought the boy downstairs because he has to eat with them. And he does not want to eat. I don't think he doesn't want to be around them. He no. just wants to spend back. his days with his grandmother. Yeah, go back upstairs. And they're just eating, like, this, like, weird stuff. You don't even know what they're eating. They're just shoving it in their mouth with their hands. Yeah. The boy escapes dinner, sees Grandma sleeping on the bed, gives her a kiss, and then he starts, like, <laughs> eating candy out right. of the uh, candy bowl. I mean, I had grandmothers that I remember would co- I would go and visit, and they'd always have a... a uh, hard candy dish? Yeah, hard candy dish, something there, and you could go there and... Chow down? Yeah, that was one of the, ch- the fun things about going to visit your grandmother, is yep. you have candy there for you. The hard candy, you pick up one, the whole <laughs> thing comes up, because <laughs> they're all stuck together. Or even, like, I, uh, gummy bears. My grandfather would have, like, Andy's candies yes. or the mints or yep. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, now she, he wakes up to her whistling. Sort of like the whistle we heard in the beginning. Yeah, he's still peeing on his bed, but he tiptoes away. Well, he's proud of but, it now. He's he's fine with it. Well, now he's kind of like it doesn't matter. I'm not gonna. I'm getting away from this mm-hmm. this environment. He really isn't. He's just going up to the attic, but he feels like he's getting away, and maybe his dad won't get him. And it turns into a horror movie because. The mom and dad are like chasing him up the attic stairs, and um, it's almost like they're zombies. Yeah, it's and then they're going to animation, which I'm not even sure what we're looking at. In working on the sound effects, Lynch had these records that he was going to use, but they were terrible. They weren't. They were scratched up, and they just didn't work out. And so he was working with Alan Splett. 
and they decided to create their own sound effects and they spent 63 days making their own sound effects. Alan would later work on sound design with Lynch on Eraserhead, The Elephant Man, and Blue Velvet. And the mom and dad are animated and one's get, the dad's getting fatter, the mom's getting taller, and then you just blow up. You kind of wonder, like, how long did he take to make this animation Three hours. To? <laughs> Three hours. <laughs> and he's exhausted, and he falls on his grandmother's bed, which still has the all co- the sand and... The cocoon sort of thing in there, I yeah. call it. Yeah. The dirt and sticks. But she's, like, watching, like, yeah, I'll protect yeah, you. Yeah, she's, she's on a rocking chair, and she's just comforted. It goes from chaos to her being calm and kind of maybe calms the mood a little bit. Yeah. So the grandma gives him a look like... I'm there for you. I'm there for you. Yeah, and he smiles. It's adorable, and they're laughing. And So is the grandmother real? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, They're poking each other. (laughs) Like maybe they're just playing. They're just poking, goofing around. And see, this is the part. They kiss, and then it freezes. So the grandma wakes up. The boy peed himself. The grandma's upstairs. Now, were you were you offended by that kiss? Did you think anything wrong of it? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't offended, but I was like kind of taken back because they they kiss on the lips, like, and they freeze frame it. It was weird. I'm not gonna say it was just odd. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I mean, I think there are some families that it's innocent thing that they mm-hmm. they kiss on the lips. Like no. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you and I, our family, are like that or anything. Like that, no, no, no. I, I don't think mine really is that much either. But there are some families that are. It's a, not a a sexual thing. It's just a way of saying I love you. <laughs> Growing up, I had a friend who kissed his mom and dad on the lips. Yeah, I all the think, time. Do you, you watch Saturday Night Live? Yes, there's a Santa Live sketch. Yes, they, they, they do the same they, thing. They kiss, they kiss each other, but then it gets it gets too much. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's but really then funny. They'll bring in a friend, and they like like one of the bro- one of the sons will come home with his from college, college with his girl, and the, he he's witnessing all this. But then like everybody's kissing everybody, <laughs> and then I think I don't know, they then even have the kissing the new girl as well, or something. Yeah, know, and they'll be like, "What? This is how we show love in this yeah, household." Yeah, there's a whole right, they, they, it's <laughs> and they're Frenching. Mo- a whole new monologue. It's like. <laughs> You know, back in our day, we came from another culture, and it was hard for us, and we went through so much, <laughs> much. and then we wanted to show our love. I mean, that, I don't know, that's a, I would say that's an, ex, that's an extreme. Yeah, But yeah. I mean, I think there's there's plenty of families that there's the way of expressing their love without being anything more than that. Yeah, it's uh, an innocent saying, kiss. Yeah. Innocent kiss. And I want to believe that's what this is. Me too. Me too. So... Another day goes by and she's whistling, but she seems to be choking and whistling. And the little boy comes up there to yeah, check on his grandmother. Freaking, I don't understand why, but maybe from the animation we saw, maybe she realizes he needs to grow up and become his own person, and that she can't be there to protect him. And you know what? This is a, a mortality. I mean, grandmothers die; we mm-hmm. all die, and maybe this is really just. She can't stay with him forever. And I yeah. think this is the realization that she will die and he's going to have to, you know, deal with the situation he's actually in. Yeah, peeing his bad and his bad parents. <laughs> his bad parents. It's really, it's not about being, yeah, it's really just about this this difficult place that he's in right now. Yeah. And she flies around the room backwards, sort of like the air is coming out of her, like a balloon. Yes. But so it's very quickly. Yes. Very, yeah. It's like sporadic. And he and actually, he, he tries to get his parents to help him. And we see the dad's like, he just, he looks so out of it. 
And the poor grandma's spinning around the room. He's like, come on, Dad. You got to check this out. Grandma's dying up in the attic. <laughs> and the mom's just like, I don't know, she's high and she's laughing. And he's like, this kid's a rag doll. He uh, just jerks him around. Yeah, the parents want nothing of him and they don't care. And, they and see, he's missing teeth. It makes me feel like these these guys are just on drugs. Sparkle, maybe. Maybe. Sparkle, yes. Yeah, Sparkle comes back. So poor grandma. The kid runs up, I think, runs back upstairs. This quick speed of her just running, uh, like, going all around the room. Yeah. And she's still kind of whistling, and I don't know if she's choking, but she's definitely uh, dying. And we're and, at a gravesite. Right. So grandmother has passed away. And he goes to the grave, I think, to see her one last time. And he's walking through like, some tall grass, and... He comes up to his grandma on a rocking chair. Are we supposed to believe that she is dead and he's like, he's thinking that she's there or is she actually there? I want to believe he, she passed away and he's like maybe imagining her being there. Like metaphorically. Yeah. Like when we go to a graveyard and we think about our loss of people, we, we could talk to them. We, we feel like they're part, they're there. Yep. Doesn't even see her really. And I almost feel like um, she sees him, and then she lets go, and I think he kind of freaks out. Like, um, I think it's like uh, it hits him like a brick, like she's really gone. Yes. Yep. And then um, he walks back to bed in his pee-pee bed. Most of the time, the sheets have been changed, and this time he's gone and he's is sweet. still in his pee bed there. And it, oh, he, he's crying. His eyes look all glossy. What if the grandma had passed away and he, this is him uh, remembering her and coming to terms with it and he's acting up by peeing in the bed? That's quite possible, and then right? The, maybe it's the parents, trauma. It's a form of trauma. Yeah, and the parents are just jerks and they are just going off the deep end and he doesn't know how to cope with the grandma's dying. So maybe he imagines bringing her back to life with the seed and he had, you know, he, he used it as an escape. Um, but reality hits him because he can't stop her dying. Yes. And maybe even in this fantasy she dies. And then he, maybe he goes to the gravesite for the first time and it hits him like grandma has been dead and you just have to you have to kind of move on and uh, stop peeing your bed. Like, you need to, like, get past this. And, you know, he's a little boy. doesn't know how to. And the parents are just being jerks. And, you know, yeah, it could sad. be that way, too. It's, it's sad that there's no happy ending here. I mean, it ends no. with him on the in that bed thinking about the loss, crying. Yeah. And then you yeah. think, well, like, you know, he's still stuck with these parents. And that's just his life. And, like. Yeah. Man, we really went out. We went out on a downer, Ben. It was. I don't, I want something uplifting. I want to think that <laughs> yeah, grandmother was able to get her, him out of that situation. Maybe we can go through there. Yeah, I mean that's possible. I want the, the angels to come and save him. Yeah. Uh, I um, to- yeah, like he's like a Laura Palmer figure, um, where he's just this innocent boy and he lost. He's lost in this world, and parents are abusing him. Leland Palmer. Yeah. Leland Palmer. We, we, still, we still make this connection that, you know, when he was younger, uh, you know, he met Bob, 
and Bob opened him inside, and you do sometimes still link it to his, was he being molested? You know, like, was he being abused when he went to, was he even being abused by his grandparents? Like, you know, he, he had grandparents that lived near Pearl Lake, and, you know, he would visit them, I think, over the summer or something like that. And you yeah. do wonder, like, was it the neighbor Bob or Robertson, or was it, uh, God forbid, his own family? Yeah, and I mean... Oh God! It gets so messy because you don't know Robert was Robertson a real person? Was, right? Was Bob? People knew what he looked like in the real world, so he made him a real person. Yes, it's but weird. was it easy? Was it easier to think of that image of an evil person? I mean, and like we talked before, but it's it's easy to think of like somebody who has long dark hair and jean jacket and looks grubby, <laughs> and like it's easy to think that oh that's a bad person. Then to think it's your own family that would be doing this, and like it's just the evil that men do. Yes, you know, uh, in this day in this climate right now, there's a lot of bobs. There are a lot of bad <laughs> bobs. Yeah, and we got to stop them. But somehow we we have to call them out and say, hey, this this is not tolerable. Yep. We we will not put up with the, your behavior, and this is not acceptable in our society. We got to get rid of the bobs. Right. For for the the little boys and the little girls, and for all of us. Yeah. Wow, that was a heavy one. <laughs> that was heavier. Jeez, uh, I, I guess, feel like I'm gonna cry. I, I, I realize. I guess I don't. I don't revisit this that often. I would. <laughs> Believe you. I, this might have been maybe my third time watching this. This is my second it. time watching uh, it. Oh, you yeah, have watched it before this, huh? Yeah, I watched it today. Okay. Before we did oh, the show. Oh, yeah. Then you count, oh, wait, you and then that, I watched. Then. Oh, this could be my fourth then if you're counting that. Yeah. Yeah, I we'll watch yeah, it together. Yeah, 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 yeah you're a good point. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I would. It's heavy. Probably and not it's, watch this for a while. Yeah. And it's funny that you know people say that oh, David Lynch doesn't have happy endings. I, I do count a lot of happy endings. I do think there's some happy endings in Blue Velvet, and there's some happy endings in, in uh, Wild at Heart, and even. There is some point of Fire Walk with me. me. So there are stuff, but boy, this one is like, oh my gosh. Like, like Lynch had to write this and, you know, he had to direct it and animate it. And like, this is heavy stuff. And like, yet again, I would love to interview David Lynch and talk to him about these short films. They're very interesting to me. And I. David Lynch should give us time every week. We say, this week we're going to talk <laughs> just about Grandmother. Mother. Next week we'll talk about Twin Peaks. I feel like unlocking the keys to Twin Peaks will be looking into these and yeah. really seeing if he's willing to ever talk about them. You know, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, that would be something. Yeah. If we if we were ever to get David Lynch. Yeah, if you ever, you know, yeah. David, if you're out there, call us up. We'd love to talk <laughs> with you. <laughs> you can email us at twinpeaksunwrapped.gmail.com. Well, Ben, I, I think with that being said, we, we have finished the David Lynch short film segment of this year. Yes. You know, I really think we, you know, we're getting so close to Christmas now. We need to find a, a little, something happier for next week. I think we need to find, or at least something fun. Let's do, let's do something a little more light, tongue in cheek. Let's do something that is just going to, you know. Yeah, yeah. Get us in the holiday spirit. Right. Maybe. Maybe something like that. So yeah. That, I think that's what we're really going to hope for for next week, that we will do something that's just fun, entertaining, and, a little and very, very, uh, a very special episode right. of Twin Peaks Unwrapped next next week. They'll lift us and elevate us <laughs> into the stratosphere of yes. 2017. I like that. I, let's hope for that. Yeah. And if you have less depressing stories than the grandmother and like to talk to us about it, you can email us at twinpeaksunwrapped.gmail.com. You can message us on Twitter or Facebook at Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Uh, ben, 
How how is Twitter going? Twitter is awesome. I love that community. I mean, they are just so cool. I mean, half the time I just like reading what they have to say, yeah, and and they fun. all have some great insights, and it's a good community. I love yeah. it. And how's Facebook? Facebook's going good. Lots of likes. Um, you know, I'm still part of the Twin Peaks uh, pages that are going on, and people are always posting fun and interesting stuff, especially our buddies at 25 Years Later. 25yearslatersite.com. They are a great community. I can't, I mean, they've got stuff out every day. Like, you know, I was like, oh, wow, we, we can get a show out every week. That is amazing. And then when I see these guys, and they're like, every day, just about, they have a new article, and it's insightful, great stuff. And yes. I just, I'm always impressed with the stuff that they're doing. But so they got I, like six writers. Yeah, they've more. got a few writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. helps. That we, does need, help. we need a staff on our podcast. <laughs> we could do a, well, a with podcast. With our partnership, it. it always is like yes. that. I mean, thank you guys. Thank you, 25 yeah, thank Years you. Later site for, contributing to this show and it's great to have them on and talk about their articles and for them to read their articles it's been great yeah it's it's so cool it's sort of like if you know you're driving your car and you want to read one of their articles well then you get to hear it right you hear it you see what they if you like their style go go to their site and read some more of their work i mean yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, I would say, you know, you go to that site, and right on the left-hand corner, there's the team, and you click on the team, and you'll give a whole list of all the writers, and if there's somebody's that you, style of writing that you really like, you click on their name, and you'll see all the articles they've done, and I think that's really nice. So, yeah. I mean, whether it's Lindsay or Laura, I mean, I could list all these people, John Bernard, Bernardi. Andrew, I'm not going to name everybody, but there is such a great uh, a bunch of writers out yes. there, and I would definitely recommend checking them out. Definitely check that out, and... You can check us out on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, five-star review, give us a nice little comment. And uh, 2018 brings a lot of uh, cool surprises for us, and uh, hopefully we will have a lot of cool content, and we're going to dig into the DVDs um, in January. Yeah, I can't so, wait for that Blu-ray, especially the Blu-ray because it has the even more fo- uh, more extra stuff. I know. So we're going to have a lot to talk about next year. People are like, how the hell are you guys going to do this? We, we, we have just scratched the surface. Right. And there's so many people to talk to. I really hope we get get a lot more interviews with people. There's so many. When you think about how many people that are in season three and then how many people still we haven't talked to from the, the original series there. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, so yeah, many people yeah. to still talk to. Yeah. So we'll have shows for years to come. <laughs> As long as we can do it. Yeah, as long as we can do it. And really, a part of it is also just having the support of, of everybody out there. Thank you, everyone who has been contributing, who have uh, you know written to us, who has uh, gone to the Tea Public shop and uh, has gotten a sticker or a hoodie or just so many things out there, and that really helps our show and it makes us really happy to be keep on doing this. So, yep, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And you you still have enough time. To get yourself a hoodie, a shirt, a mug for that Twin Peaks fan in your life. Um, I think if you order now, you should be able to get it in time for Christmas. And even if you got it a little after Christmas, it's okay. Yeah. Because at the end of the year, um, a lot of these things are almost, we're running out. We're running out of the Dougie shirt, running out up over the top. I, I, I can only guess we got a week's left of uh, inventory. And once it's out, it's out. So get it now while it's hot because once it's gone, it's not coming back. Until it does. <laughs> no, it's not coming back. It's gone forever. I feel like this is starting to become like a, uh, a car commercial thing or it something is. like that. Yeah. What can I do to get you in a nice one pink shirt? Huh? <laughs> These uh, ones we had special for this year will be gone after, th- after this holiday. 
Um, the box is almost empty. I was looking at it today. <laughs> This is almost empty, so. Is, it a, no, is this a virtual box or is this a real box? Oh, it's a real box. I keep right. my garage. Don't you know I mail all, I personally mail out everything you guys order. I, I don't believe anything Brian <laughs> says. I don't believe you at all. I, I do. I, I do. The order comes in and I, I go, get to work, how, elves. I don't know if that's how it works. Oh, now you've got elves <laughs> on your team? Well, can you have those elves edit these shows so I can get these out faster? You edit the shows and I'm mailing <laughs> I, I need products. Elves. I need elves to help out with that. Yeah. Give me some sound clips. Yeah, okay. <laughs> elves, oh. get to work. Well, they're David Lynch elves. Oh, man. They, they, they probably have knives or something. <laughs> <laughs> they're all drinking coffee and they're all just speaking David a Lynch metaphor. Coffee. David yeah. Lynch coffee. Uh, so check out Tea Public. Support us. Uh, next week... Look for something very special in our in your podcast feed, and we'll be back in 2018 with uh, the we'll go into season three DVDs and all that stuff. Awesome! So, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah, also Happy New Year. That phone call uh, changed my life completely. I had a grant to make a film. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a body dead, wrapped in plastic. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two secret diaries and a body dead, wrapped in plastic. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me three possessed souls, two secret diaries and a body dead, wrapped in plastic. Diane, on the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me four talking logs, three possessed souls, two secret diaries, and a body dead, wrapped in plastic. On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me five jelly donuts, four talking logs, three possessed souls, two secret diaries, and a body dead. Wrapped in plastic. On the sixth day of Christmas, my sweetheart gave to me six fish and a percolator. Five jelly donuts. Four talking logs. Three possessed souls. Two secret diaries. And a body dead, wrapped in plastic. On the seventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me seven one-armed men. Six fish and a percolator. Five jelly donuts. Four talking logs. Three possessed souls. Two secret diaries. And a body dead, wrapped in plastic. Diane, on the eighth day of Christmas, I had a strange dream. Eight dancing midgets. Seven one-armed men. Six fish and a percolator. Five, oh, five jelly donuts. Sorry. Oops. Four talking logs. Three possessed souls. Two secret diaries. And a body dead, wrapped in plastic. On the ninth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me nine owls lurking. Eight dancing midgets. Seven one-armed men. Six fish and a percolator. Five jelly donuts. Four talking logs. Three possessed souls. Two secret diaries. And a body dead, wrapped in plastic. On the tenth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me 
Ten drooling Leos. Nine owls lurking. Eight dancing midgets. Seven one-armed men. Six fish in a percolator. Five jelly donuts. Four talking logs. Three possessed souls. Two secret diaries. And a body dead wrapped in plastic. On the eleventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me eleven cherry pies. Ten drooling Leos. Nine owls lurking. Eight dancing midgets. Seven one-armed men. Six fish in a percolator. Five jelly donuts. Four talking logs. Three possessed souls. Two secret diaries. And a body dead wrapped in plastic. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my sweetheart gave to me twelve cups of coffee, lemon cherry pie, ten drooling Leos, nine owls lurking, eight dancing midgets, seven one-armed men, six fish in a percolator, five dozen donuts, what? Four talking logs, three possessed souls, two secret diaries. And a body, dead, wrapped in plastic.